We're your hosts, Dana and Kara, and this is From the Mouths of Babes. This week's episode is sponsored by Mixers, individually packaged vitamin drink mixes that give you vital nutrients in a quick, effortless, and delicious mocktail form made for all of our women babes by babes. Our goal and mission is to have conversations that uplift and empower everyone to reach their potential, know their ultimate goodness, recognize their babehood, and use their voice for good. To do that, we could all use a little more energy and a boost. And that's why we love Her Power. Her Power is a non stimulant energy supplement that provides stamina, concentration, mental support, and mental clarity. Struggle with racing mind and anxiety or feeling constantly tired? Uh, I do. Her power is your answer. Show up in life focused on point, full of energy, but without the crash and habit forming behaviors that caffeine can cause. If you want a little more energy and a little boost, follow the link in our show notes or our Instagram link tree and use code mixhers-babes. That's M-I-X-H-E-R-S-babes for your 10% off your order. You can even use it on your first month of subscription, which gets you 20% off. So add our 10% code and the 20% off subscription code for a total of 30% off and give MixHers a try. Hi, babes. Thank you so much for the hundreds of you that listened to our episode last week. Trevor and I deeply appreciated the love and the support that many of you were brave enough to reach out to us and to give. It is been, it's been a journey. That's for sure. And I know many of you have many more questions about more of the specifics of our story, and we would be happy to continue to answer questions that some of you have sent to us. And we will do a follow-up episode so that we can more fully help others and to give people hope and to educate just in the LGBTQ community. Thank you for returning for this week as we continue this conversation about the LGBTQ community. Thank you so much for your love and support. And we hope that all of you continue to support Dana and I and our podcast from the mouths of babes. Welcome back, everyone. We are thrilled to have this conversation today and especially excited for our guest. We have gotten several requests from our listeners to have this guest on the podcast. So we are very excited to welcome Richard H. Osler. He's also known on his Facebook community and well-beloved in his community as Papa Osler. So we are excited to welcome him. Richard Osler is a formal young single adult bishop. He speaks at firesides and conferences about how to fully, more fully embrace the LGBTQ Latter-day Saints to help see their gifts and their contributions and better understand their unique road. He is the host of the Listen, Learn, and Love podcast, and we will make sure we link that in our show notes, which provides a platform for Latter-day Saints to share their stories on a number of topics. He is the author of the book, Listen, Learn, and Love, Embracing LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, which is available at Deseret Book. He has also authored two recent Ensign 
magazine articles, How the Savior's Healing Power Applies to Repenting from Sexual Sin, and another which was Seven Tips for Overcoming Pornography Use. He is deeply committed to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and to creating more understanding and support for our LGBTQ members. A goal started during his service as a young single adult bishop as he learned to set aside past assumptions to better fulfill his stewardship responsibility to meet the spiritual needs of LGBTQ ward members. In addition to serving as a bishop, a stake young men's president, high counselor, and ward mission leader. He currently serves as a temple worker. He has a bachelor's from the University of Utah and an MBA from Brigham Young University and is a small business owner. Richard and his wife, Sheila, live in Salt Lake City, Utah, and have six wonderful children and several grandchildren. We are so excited to welcome you. Thank you so much for joining us, Richard. Thank you, Dana. And glad to be here, and you two are doing wonderful work. Thanks. Well, Thank we, you. we think the same about you, so we're, we're really excited to jump into this conversation. This has been something on our minds quite a bit. As many of our listeners will know, Kara and her husband, Trevor, recently have shared their story surrounding the LGBTQ community. And so this comes at a real, a great time for us to discuss further and to like your podcasts, um, listen, learn, and love. So we're, we're excited to, to dive in. Yeah. So I think a lot of our listeners really want to know how and why you dove into this mission of learning how to love and advocate for our minority brothers and sisters who identify in the LGBTQ spectrum and kind of what that process and that story is for you. It's a great question. You know, as I've thought back on that, I've recognized that I've always been curious. I remember tracting in England in 1980, and we give our usual door approach, but often I would ask questions about their faith and their life. And my companions say, you're going to get converted. And I go, no, I'm pretty confident in our church. I just am curious about their faith and their beliefs. And, and sometimes felt that would actually help me better understand um, potential concerns they had with their faith. So I didn't recognize it at the time, but I think I've just been curious my whole life about other people's lived experiences. So when I was a singles ward bishop, it was the first time I had priesthood responsibility for LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. A couple men, um, gay SSA men, just opened up to me about their sexual orientation, and I felt impressed to do a lot of listening. And I recognized over a period of time, and I was in my early 50s then, or mid-50s, I just got kind of a rebuke of the Spirit, to be honest. The Spirit just said to me that everything I've learned about this community is from straight people, and I don't know what's accurate or not. And I didn't have a way to really look inward and sort of go through everything I'd picked up in my life and know what was accurate or not. So Spirit invited me to wipe my hard drive clean of everything I'd ever concluded about this group of people. And Heavenly Father just kind of said, if you want to learn about this group of people, go talk to people that identify as LGBTQ and their parents that often have wonderful insights. Uh, 
So I just kind of came with this hard drive that was waiting to be programmed, this empty space, so to speak, of of needing new content there. And that's the beginning of just learning about this community. And there's a scripture in Nephi that said, he that diligent, sort of, I'm paraphrasing, if you diligently seek, you know, by the spirit, you'll be, you know, the mysteries of God will be unfolded unto you. And that's certainly been my journey in this space. And that that template applies to other spaces that we may not understand how women feel in the church or how black people feel in the church or undocumented workers, just people outside of our normal circle. It's really important maybe not to develop opinions about groups of people until we actually meet groups of people, people in that group of people, and then we're more likely to lift their burdens versus bear their burdens. So that's kind of, that was the beginning. I didn't know I'd write a book. I didn't know I'd be on a, do a podcast. I didn't have any idea that that initial and spiritual impression back in 2015, five or six years ago would result in this path for me, but it's, it's really where Heavenly Fathers wanted me to go. I felt a really strong impression as my YSA assignment was ending, um, to step in this space, um, And I've always felt like I wanted to be supportive of our leaders and our doctrine, but I feel like work we can do within our doctrine to improve the experience for LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. And that's just the space I felt pressed to be in. I love that. I uh, have more questions as a result of of that answer. And one, I, I feel like you probably have seen quite a bit of change and growth uh, from 2015 to now. So I'm curious to hear from you what you would say has been the biggest change in yourself, as you have mentioned, as you have wiped your hard drive clean. Um, but then also what you have seen in the LGBT community and what you've seen in the church as you have started this, this journey. I think that that's a great question. It's kind of a three-part question. I'll do yeah. my best. Um, I think the things that I, I recognize that I was picking up a bunch of information as I was kind of generally connected to this topic, you know, just sort of like a rank and file member aware of it. I didn't have a family member. I had a cousin that was gay, but I've never had a family member. So I've never had anybody close in my life that's caused me to fully understand this space or try to. So I just realized I picked up a lot of things. I think one of the things I picked up is that somehow people chose this or something went wrong or they had a faulty parenting style or, you know, just all these explanations why someone is not straight. And uh, one of the firm conclusions I've come to is people come this way. And I don't believe anymore that Heavenly Father feels this is a mistake. He doesn't, no one has created as an heir, no one should feel like how they identify is a mistake. Now, it doesn't change our doctrine. It just puts everybody on the same moral footing. No one should feel shame for how they're created, straight or not straight. And so that's a big shift if we, and the church teaches that, and I talk about that in the book. If that is a real paradigm shift, if we think about that, because when I was growing up, the assumption was something went wrong somebody is feeding these feedings so they can undo something that's happened. And so all the responsibilities on the non-straight person to become straight, they can pray it away, they can overserve, they can have better parenting style, whatever. 
but now that we realize this is how people come, the responsibility is not on the LGBTQ person to be straight. It's on us to um, better serve, minister, and help them feel a feeling of belonging. Some would say, well, doesn't the atonement, isn't everything possible with the atonement? Because there's language in the scriptures that talk about that. And um, my LGBTQ friends have kind of taught me this, but it, you know, Ben Shalati talks about the atonement didn't make me straight, but it healed my broken heart. So I'm, I have blue eyes, I'm right-handed, I'm gray hair now. I can't use the atonement to change those attributes about me. Maybe I could become a little more left-handed if I really worked on my left-handed shot, <laughs> especially blue eyes is a really good one. And this is just an attribute that, you know, and I don't think it's a bad attribute. It's part of the needed diversity that's part of the human experience. Um, and I think one of the challenges is most of the LGBTQ people that I know have consistently heard negative messages about people like them in our families, in our church communities, all church communities and society. And I think that's where we can significantly improve is to consistently say kind things about everybody. We should all assume there's LGBTQ people in our Sunday school class, our Release Society class, our Elders Quorum, our young men's and young women's. And we can teach our restored doctrine on without having sort of a villain um, out there, you know, and, and so that's, that's one of the ways we can all improve. LGBTQ people should be hearing wonderful things about people like them early in their life. It helps them not to have shame for how they're created. If they feel from parents or from faith communities or friends that people like them are good, they can start to accept their good and they can be more likely to have a relationship with their heavenly parents and not feel shame. Satan's one of Satan's greatest tools is to separate us because of shame from the love of our heavenly parents. And sexual orientation or gender identity is out of our control. And if that creates then shame for something that's out of our control, it's it's kind of on us to help people not to feel shame. So those are some thoughts. Just um, I love this idea of fitting in as assessing a situation and becoming somebody you need to be in order to be accepted. Belonging doesn't require us to change who we are. It requires us to be who we are. That's a burnout, Bernie Brown quote. You're all kind of nodding your heads. I think <laughs> I recognize that. But that's maybe one of the most important principles I could share in this podcast is if you think of a board, um, listeners, and you just look for a board with round holes and round pegs, that represents heteronormative or straight people. Straight people are the round pegs and they can fit into round holes and the board just has round holes. So if you're not straight, the, the only way for you to belong is to sort of be straight because there's just straight, there's just round holes. Right. And in a heteronormative society, you want to be straight to fit in. But often that's not sustainable. It creates a lot of dissidence, creates a lot of shame. It creates a lot of angst. And you feel this part of you is undesirable to you, to others, to God. Belonging doesn't require us to change who we are. It requires us to be who we are. So LGBTQ people that feel impressed to come out, it's not usually a desire to break commandments or to separate themselves from God or their families. They just want to know people love them. And I get emotional because it takes so much courage to come out. They just want to know people will love them if they know everything about them. 
Um, it takes great courage to come out. And some of your listeners may feel their path is not to come out and that's fine. Um, but belonging then, then what we do as a, as LDS congregations or as families, we create square holes. That's really important. Um, when someone comes out, they're really the square peg. They're the non-straight person. That's the way they're created. Um, but they no longer have to pretend to be a round peg. They can be the square peg that heavenly parents always intended them to be. And then, and in the past, we kind of inferred they could become a round peg if they just prayed this away or whatever. But now we recognize they are the square peg. And that's a good thing. And we create a feeling of belonging. So it's sort of on us as, as Latter-day Saints to create a feeling that square pegs are welcome. And maybe even more importantly, they're desirable. They can teach us things about the gospel of Jesus Christ that perhaps our straight friends don't understand. I stepped in this space. And I'm giving you a long answer, Dana. So uh, many good I, things. I stepped in this space and thought, well, I'm going to be the good Samaritan. I'm going to kind of rescue LGBTQ people. And that's going to be my mission. And, um, and I've done a little bit of that, but I get really... My friends that are SSA or LGBTQ have rescued me. They've taught me things about the gospel of Jesus Christ, about Christ's ministry, about empathy, compassion, using the atonement, not to become straight, but to heal broken hearts, to give grace back to others that say unkind things. Um, some of the noble and great ones in my life are those that aren't straight. And my life is better because of their example in my life of the gospel of Jesus Christ and Christ's ministry. And we're losing that voice in a lot of our congregations because there's not a feeling of belonging or welcoming or, or a feeling that actually your voices are needed. We want to hear your thoughts about the gospel of Jesus Christ, your insights into the atonement. I think of Corinthians 12, where Paul talked about the body of Christ and he went through using a metaphor, the eyes, the arms, the hands, the ears, every part is equally desirable. We can't look at one part and say it's less desirable than the other. And I think that's important doctrine that's present in, our, in the New Testament there to help us reflect on all of the human family, those that are different than us, those that, for whatever reason, they, to God and to... Um, perhaps are the benefit of our congregation, we need their voices. So that's just a little bit of my journey. And I've had the privilege of meeting with hundreds of LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. I didn't really know that would happen, but I just started to post kind things on social media about gay people, um, which is kind of an odd thing to do. That still is kind of an unusual thing to do on social media, but um, the amount of people that just said, I want to come tell you my story it was transforming for me. That sort of happened. I was a singles ward bishop. Many that weren't, were not in my ward just said, I want to tell you my story. And I said, I'd be glad to. You can come to my office or my home. And as I got released, that just kind of continued. And I've just been glad to hear stories. And gradually, I got the impression to put these stories on a podcast because I recognized that was my path to changing. I had to listen and I had to be humble enough to listen. And for guys my age at 60, it's hard to listen. We want to talk. I'm doing a good job of talking right now. It feels really good. <laughs> and then it gives me the ability to learn. 
and then I can love better. And I can set aside some of my um, unearned opinions about groups of people and be humble enough to recognize I've been wrong. I've been pretty clear that I have been wrong about um, my feelings about lots of groups of people in the past and my uninformed opinions have added to the burdens of others. And so I'm partly doing this out of repentance, proactive repentance. <laughs> I don't think I was terrible, um, but I wasn't great. Um, and I'd certainly make those snarky comments in church that kind of everybody laughed on and we kind of enjoyed making snarky comments about gay people. We all kind of smiled and chuckled, but I recognize that's not what Christ would do in elders quorum <laughs> or in yeah. young men's. So um, I've had the privilege at times to give blessings to LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. And I shared this in the book. It's kind of tender, but I have blessed some of the most valiant premortal spirits but who they are and their life mission is kind of masked from our eyes in general. I've never felt an impression with the priesthood I hold to change someone's gender identity or sexual orientation. I've always felt that this is who they're supposed to be. Now that's a hard road. <laughs> and I've just felt heavenly parents love and an understanding of how hard of a road it is. And I don't quite know what to make of that. Um, why someone, I don't have an answer why someone's born straight and someone's not. Sure. Except there's incredibly valiant people that are not born straight that are doing you beautiful, unique things um, in our world and in our faith. Um, so that's just some thoughts. So beautiful. Yeah. Um, a lot of what you said made me think that the, the main reason that Trevor and I share our story is to create those square holes and to let people know that they are loved and they are good because that was missing from Trevor's life, from our life. And it was ignored. And, you know, we had a, a lot of painful experiences with priesthood leaders, not loving him. And, you know, it's several, even after we were married, four or five bishops were made aware of the situation by, from Trevor. And they said, you don't have to tell your wife. Uh, you don't have to see a therapist, shove it deep down inside, like, and that's okay. And they never followed up and they'd give me these pitiful looks at church. And I thought it was because I had all these babies and I was sweaty and chasing them. It was like, no, we pity you because we know more about your life. Um, and so hearing another generation that's creating this square space and showing so much love and acceptance is so healing. And it brings me to a question, you know, we say we, you belong, you know, that's been the message you have space here. That's been the message from the first presidency. How do we actually in our communities, in our wards, create that square space for them to fit? Because you know, we just had a lesson in our word about, you know, the covenant path. And so doctrinally we're stopping the conversation with, uh, you know, you have to get sealed in the temple to make it to the celestial kingdom, highest glory. But what about 50% of the church that's single and who identifies as LGBTQ or, you know, and more and more members are wanting to stay, but they're also choosing to have a same-sex partner or, but they still want to be in as 
fellowshipped as possible. So I guess my real question is, yeah, like how do we keep these people in fellowship despite, you know, that's just, it's such a hard question. I even kind of posed that question to our stake president last night in a little meeting we had. And it's like, yeah, there has, we have to change the way we talk about it because there right now there isn't a space we're saying there is, but we haven't moved the seats over to let them sit yet. And I'm just really curious about your thoughts. It's a great question. Um, First of all, for you and Trevor to do what you're doing takes incredible courage. Um, You two are two of my heroes to talk openly about your situation with Trevor um, identifying as SSA or whatever label. Um, And Trevor's courage to talk to bishops and you and probably this long journey would be a two hour story if we did a sidetrack and got Trevor talking and some pretty choppy experiences. And I think it's okay to recognize as you inferred or mentioned that this hasn't been easy. And Mm -hmm. there's been really difficult experiences because we as leaders and as members just haven't had any training um, on how to create square holes, so to speak, and how to bear burdens and not add to your burdens with our uninformed opinions. But I just want your listeners to know my respect, love, appreciation for you and Trevor and your courage to talk about this, because this is what we need to do. And you are really brave to do this, but it, it helps. People are hard to hate close up, move in. That's a Brene Brown quote. And that certainly has been true for me as I've, you know, as I've met so many that identify as LGBTQ. So we, um, and I just hope that you continue. Some people talk about, I had a Spencer Thompson on the podcast that hasn't been released yet, but he talked about vulnerability hangover. It was really interesting because mm-hmm. he's the president of North Star and identifies as SSA and is, has a great marriage, just a terrific human being. But he talks about a vulnerability hangover because he shares what's the reality of his life. And then he feels a lot of support. But then the next week, it's sort of like, you know, what's everybody really thinking? You sort of get in your head. Yeah. Yeah. It takes a lot of courage to do what you both of you've done. And, and when you're open and vulnerable, and this, you don't need to hear this, this is for your listeners. If somebody comes out, um, they need, everybody needs this, but they particularly need constant engagement. Tell me how you're doing. They just, mm-hmm. you need to continue to engage with them and ask them about their experience. If there anybody that's vulnerable in a church setting about anything, you, we as Latter-day Saints need to continue to stay engaged and respect their courage to be vulnerable um, so that they don't experience a vulnerable hangover and start recycling mm-hmm. in their mind, crap, everybody thinks this about me or no one's talking about mm-hmm. it unless you really hated me being vulnerable. Um, this, to get to more of your question, um, I think, I think I, I love, I, believe in the family proclamation, um, but I recognize it doesn't answer the question for a lot of members. Um, And so whenever, I'm a marketer by trade, so whenever we do unaided awareness tests, you know, I'm thinking, you know, when someone comes out, we think family proclamation, or someone comes out, we think, well, they've got to keep the law of chastity. And I hope as a church, we can change that unaided awareness (laughs) or response awareness and think, okay, what do I need to do to bear their burdens? Or what can I do to see their contributions to the body of Christ? 
Um, the Family Proclamation listeners is a document, I believe, in sustain and support, but it may not be possible to have that be the reality for many Latter-day Saints. You rightly so mentioned in President Ballard and Elder Gong in last conference, April 2021, said that more than half of the church adults are not married. And some that are SSA don't really have a path um, if they're going to be celibate and feel like a mixed orientation marriage isn't their path, they don't have a way to ever make that possible in their life. And they're just locked out of that possibility. So I think when we teach the family proclamation, we need, there's wording in there, sort of adapt to other situations. I think we could take a whole lesson and say, let's talk about the other situations mm-hmm. and use Elder Ballard and Elder Gong's talk and talk about our LGBTQ members and what can we do to So the family proclamation doesn't answer the question to an 18-year-old man or woman who's gay and says, I'm going to be celibate for the rest of life. It doesn't answer how to do that. Um, It doesn't sort of provide a roadmap for that. It can be triggering, in fact, because it's it's to be in a, a straight marriage is out of their possibility. So I think we can just mature as a church family to recognize that the family proclamation is great, but it can be really triggering for some Latter-day Saints and to talk about that openly and what we can do to better support Latter-day Saints that aren't in a, that I don't want to even call it the ideal because I don't want to set up an ideal that the family proclamation, because it's just the reality of a lot of people's lives, their ideal is never to be in a straight marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, the I love the covenant path. I invite everybody to stay on the covenant path, but sometimes um, that can be even a little triggering for people um, mm-hmm. because it kind of comes back to the, we talk about obedience a lot in our faith and rightly so And the covenant path reckon talks about obedience, but I think it's okay to just talk about, you know, how to make church work for everybody um, without just talking about commandments. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I hope that's okay. I I've always felt like, um, the church congregation experience, there should be no belief or behavior hurdle to build welcome in a Latter-day Saint congregation. Elder Uchtdorf said there should be no sign at the door that says your testimony needs to be this high to enter. And I think he taught a principle that's, that's really important is everybody's working on belief and everybody's working on behavior. And there shouldn't be any hurdle to feel welcome in a Latter-day Saint congregation. And so even if two same-sex people walk in in a same-sex marriage or dating, I think they should feel welcome at church. Um, and I don't think we should look at a gay person walking in the church and say, are they sexually active? We don't do that with straight people. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's none of our business. <laughs> isn't, Kara. <laughs> so the temple is where there's a narrowing of the gate. Let's, and mm-hmm. there's belief and behavior questions. And let's don't sort of retro bring that back into our congregations or even our family circles and sort of make this checklist. You've got to be, to feel welcome in a Latter-day Saint congregation, you've got to have a temple recommend or even our families. I think to be honest, we get more to the temple if they feel welcome where they are. Everything Christ taught that I can tell was to invite people to his table that society said shouldn't be at his table. It's table fellowship. So I think we can take the example of Jesus and apply it to our congregations. That may be a little uncomfortable for some of us to 
create a feeling that everybody's welcome here, even people that are struggling with their testimonies or have no testimony or have left the church or are obviously not keeping the commandments. Or if they're in a same-sex marriage, um, there's probably straight people not keeping the commandments. Um, but I think it's okay just to say we're going to meet everybody where they are. And I think to some of the ways we do that is, is to create a narrative in our family and our church cultures. We're always saying kind things about people. That's one of the ways to create a square hole. So sometimes I think if we're in a political party, we form community around our political beliefs. But in an LDS congregation, we need to live a higher, holier law where Elder Cook talks about unity and diversity, where we're not all the same. We can't even geographically sort of search out an LDS congregation that's more aligned with us politically or socially. We're assigned to the geography and we then are mixed in with a lot of people with a lot of different beliefs. COVID's been a challenge. It's divided a lot of people within our congregations. But I think if we're, if we're living what Elder Cook asks us to do, it's unity and diversity. It's not unity and sameness. It's not having us one heart and one mind from the Pearl of Great Price and Moses doesn't mean we all have the same feelings about everything. It just means we're unified to come unto Christ and help others come unto Christ. And that can be people with different political parties, different feelings about COVID, different feelings about all these different topics, but we live this higher, holier law. Now, one of the things, um, still on your question, the last year of being a YSA bishop, I started to post kind things on social media about gay people. And I had a big, it's kind of a long story why I got into social media and I'm really old for social media, but I was on social media and I wasn't in like a BYU ward where most of the youth are active. I was in a Salt Lake City ward where two thirds weren't active. But after a period of time, a lot of the ones that were not active were on my Twitter feed or Instagram or Facebook. And if you're a local leader, you don't need to do that. It just worked for me. Work, do what works for you. But I started to post kind things about gay people. Um, just, I mean, still supported the church. You can do that. You can just say kind things about gay people on social media. And what happened was fascinating. Actually, no more came out to me. But a lot of maybe 20 of the straight youth in the ward said, I can talk to this guy. Hmm. Really fascinating principle. I know that what I need to talk to that I've maybe never talked to any adult in my life. I'm safe with him. Um, because I recognize, you know, we shouldn't, we shouldn't be elevated for saying kind things about gay people. That should be natural. But if we as parents or local leaders or friends, if most of the conversations we're having are about saying negative things about other people, it does create a feeling that perhaps we're not a safe person to open up to. So if we have a bishop or a young woman's president, young men's president, Relief Society presidents consistently talking about inclusion and everybody welcome and meeting people where they are and even saying kind things about people that leave the church. If you say kind things in church about people that leave the church, I don't think more people will leave the church, but those that are struggling to stay in the church may go, I can talk to this person about how I feel about the church. So that's to me, care a little bit about answering your question is an other gong gave a talk about making more room at the end. It's that's a great talk because it's not, it's sort of saying it's causing us to look inward. Sometimes we just want to look outward as a church and look at all the problems in the world and the problems with other religions and 
sort of feel we're at the finish line. One of the challenges of having, of being in the true church is sometimes we don't want to look inward and say, what do we need to do to improve? It's easy to look outward and see all the problems with other faiths or other social issues. Your generation is terrific at this. It's a little easier. You kind of see these things and some of your friends see them and you want to talk about them. You love our church, but you recognize we need to do better. And it's okay to look inward and say, what can we do as a, in our circle of influence? It may be our family or just a, our ministering assignments. One of the experiences I had that was back to my mission that was fascinating for me, and I think it really put some seeds in me that have helped me. Right before I got to my mission in Northern England in 1980, uh, my mission president felt our culture was too much us versus the Church of England. And the missionary message was demonizing the Church of England, the dominant religion in Northwestern England. And he thought it was actually hurting our efforts. And so he really creative guy. And he was only in his 30s when he was our mission president. So he's still alive 35 years later. <laughs> um, I'm 60 and my mission president's very much alive right now. Um, but anyway, he decided to have an all mission conference in a Church of England. And the vicar spoke, and he wanted us to feel the spirit in the Church of England. And I was not there. It happened right after I, right before I got there. But no one joined the Church of England. Um, they didn't have a baptism service afterwards for missionaries. But there's this big picture of all of our missionaries in front of the Church of England. And what happened is it changed the culture significantly we realized we could take our positive message of the restored doctrine but we didn't need a villain to drive it home and i think we can take that prince and our convert baptism sword we actually became the highest baptizing english-speaking mission in the whole church in the early 1980s in england with some months over 300 people joining the church now that's a really fascinating principle. So sometimes we want to drive a point home in church by sort of finding a villain. Um, other religions, um, LGBTQ people has been a frequent villain in the culture of our church and most churches. And that sort of, you know, when we teach the family proclamation, often we kind of get into you know, there's this group out there that's sort of a threat to our church. And I think our church is strong enough that we don't need to talk like that anymore. We can just have a fact-based discussion that same-sex marriage is out of the doctrine of our church. But we could also say kind things about people not in our faith, because they did choose the same plan we did in the premortal life. We have a doctrinal foundation, perhaps, to say the kindest things about people not in our faith because we have more of the 40,000 foot level of the plan of salvation. So saying, saying kind things about people that aren't on the covenant path, um, to me, just creates a culture that's a higher, holier way. We have this beautiful restored doctrine. It doesn't need a villain or a, we don't need to talk about how bad the world is getting to sort of, I call it, well, Brene Brown calls it common enemy intimacy. If the bond we share is simply we hate the same people, there is real connection there, but it just leads to anxiety, stress, and it's not sustainable. So if the bond I share with my political party is I just watch the cable news channel that talks about how awful the other side is, and it just fills me with fear about all the awful things the other side does, it just fills me with anxiety and stress. I told a lot of the YSAs to quit watching cable TV. 
on both sides of the aisle because it that doesn't mean put your head in the sand and not be informed but there's so much fear about how bad the other side is it just depending on our personalities it can really just cripple us with anxiety and stress so that can bleed into lds congregations but i think we can just have a positive hope-filled message that many of our leaders um, want to have and do share in general conference um, certainly the message of christ didn't have a lot of fear in it um, he was a pretty loving peacemaker that you know wanted to bring everybody to his table that didn't mean he didn't still believe in commandments um, but he had a way of just helping everybody feel loved and worthy and accepted as they made their way forward so anyway you kind of get me going and i just go off I love it. No, I, I want to touch more on that because as you've been talking so many great nuggets and things that you've said, we won't be able to cover everything. We'll have to save it for another conversation as well, because you have such wisdom to share. So thank you for what you've shared so far, but I think, and I'll just share from my own personal experience. You talk about, I absolutely believe that the message coming down from prophets and apostles and first presidency has been a message of love. Uh, Recently, Elder Renlin came to um, the Seattle, Washington, Everett area and spoke. And one of the things that he said that I really loved was um, he said, uh, it's no sin to have same sex attraction. It is a sin to belittle someone who feels same-sex attraction. And I don't think that actively, you know, I'm going about belittling someone, but I do think that how I contribute to that is something that you mentioned earlier, which is not continuing the conversation when they've come out Mm -hmm. or not engaging with them or hearing their story out of fear because I don't want to be offensive. I don't want to say something that is isolating. And so I think that just has a tendency to just then turn off the conversation and the connection altogether. And I think many people probably also struggle with that. Um, I think also, as you mentioned, it's the culture messages can be shared, but unfortunately the culture hasn't quite caught up. And I think that's where a lot of the the friction um, is happening. So my question then to you is, uh, and you, you kind of mentioned this earlier when you talked about how you can say, you know, it, it doesn't line up with our doctrine, right? Same sex attraction, or I, let me rephrase that. Uh, same-sex marriage. Same-sex marriage doesn't line up with our doctrine, but you can still love and honor and accept and desire these people to be a part of the fold. But in practice, that's a lot harder to do like when you're teaching your child. And I, I feel very fortunate that we live in a place where in my ward in Seattle, we have tons of LGBTQ members and they share their stories really openly. And it has been so wonderful to rub shoulders with them but then I struggle coming back to my own home and finding this balance of teaching the doctrine but also and it's not either holding or. space yeah. right and holding, holding space, space for other people's agency to right. make different a different choice right and I, I think that's how we phrase it in our home because our kids have asked like 
why would why would he have a boyfriend like right. why would she have two mommies like that doesn't make sense and it's like well some people some boys like boys some girls like girls and that's how their family is or that's how that's the choice that they made and you know one time one of my kids they were still really little one of my boys said like um well can can boys have boyfriends just trying to figure it out like and our mom was there and she goes no they can't and I was like mom are you new you're not new you know you're like (laughs) they can mom people can make those choices you know even within we have a fairly more open home that we grew up in but still those cultural ways just sneak out really quickly and it's like you know I don't think any of our kids are gay at this point but we can still say other people have agency and they're still welcome they're still there's still a seat next to us on the pew and next to me in Relief Society great answer Kara it's a great question um you know our kids are older we have six kids the youngest is 20 and I think you can, I love what you did, Kara, as you just said, yeah, a boy can have a boy, you know, I, I love that they're asking age appropriate questions. And I think you're as a mother or father can give age appropriate answers. You don't have to explain much more than you did. And I think kids can just go, okay. And I think you can just do what my mission president did is just, you know, have a fact-based discussion, say, this is what our church teaches and our family believes. Um, and other people will choose other paths. And we still love them. So I I don't think talking about these issues in a family is going to confuse kids into being gay. There's a great deal of fear. You've mentioned the fear word, both of you, I think, just that if we talk about this in our families, we're going to confuse our kids. If they're hearing about it at school, they'll be confused. There may be some short-term experimentation. Um, but listeners, I just, this is you know, my experience is people don't get confused. This is a really hard road. People wouldn't want naturally to choose a harder road. And even conversion therapy has tried to make people straight. And we're kind of off conversion therapy. We passed laws in a lot of states banning it. So I think we're understanding that this is how people come. And if your kid comes out to you at, at 13 or 14, because you've had kind of the conversations that Kara's had, that to me is a parenting home run that you can walk on the on this road with your kid in the high school years of the junior high kids because you've talked about this in an age appropriate way and they can open up to you versus coming out in their 20s or 30s where they've kept this to themselves. Parents can be incredibly helpful to LGBTQ children, um, especially in the well, the whole time. <laughs> But especially in those years where they're highly closeted, typically in junior high, high school, most of my guest listeners that are generally in their 20s or 30s, but we have all ranges, knew this about themselves in junior high or even younger. One young man talked about his eight-year-old baptism interview, and he knew his eight because it was his eight-year-old baptism. He says, do I need to tell the bishop about this? I actually know that I'm attracted to guys. I mean, this is pre-puberty that he was aware um, that he was attracted to guys, and he decided not to tell the bishop <laughs> at age eight. But that may be an unusual situation. But I think talking about this doesn't confuse people into being LGBTQ. I think that's fear. 
or this this outside agenda to confuse our kids into being LGBTQ or talking about it at school or talking about it at church. Um, I think we can move beyond that fear. I had always thought that the 180 I did is that I was, this is back to word association. When I thought of LGBTQ people, I thought of an outside group of people that posed a threat to my church and family. That would be my unaided aware, unaided response to LGBTQ. And now I recognize that was just not right um, because LGBTQ people are our own people. Three to 5% of the U.S. population identifies as LGBTQ. It's actually higher in a recent survey. And if with 16 million Latter-day Saints, that's over 700,000 of our own people that identify as SSA LGBTQ, that would fill Lavelle Edwards Stadium more than 10 times with our own people. So if, if we start to think about this group of people as our own family, our own ward family, our own church family, our whole paradigm shifts back to, okay, I'm going to be helping this create square holes. What can I do? Um, and then it, that's the big shift for me that I'd invite your listeners, if they haven't, is to think about it in those terms and to think about closeted people that probably need to come out. I have actually never, I don't think I've ever been the first person someone come, come out to, but if, any of, if you can be that for somebody, it's an incredible credit to you that you have created such a feeling about you that someone feels safe in coming out to you. It's a it's a friendship home run in, in that moment. It may be a spouse, it may be a priesthood leader, it may be a parent, it may be a friend, but we want to be that person. Be that person. You don't have to compromise our doctrine to say kind things about other people. You just be like Jesus. And I think back to your question, where do we draw the line? I just think we love God and we love our fellow men. I think we create a false dichotomy in our minds that to fully love and follow God, we need to stop loving some people. We, we, we can't be that Christ-like. We can't be that kind. We can't be that loving. Culturally, we sometimes put boundaries on, um, on this space of loving other people and say, well, you're kind of not loving God then if you're loving other people. But I think we confuse our doctrine or complicate it when we do that. I think it's just, it's not a, it's not a trade-off. It's not like we have a hundred points. We have to give 80 to God and 20. We have a hundred points for both. We can give a hundred points to love God and we still have a hundred left over to love others. And, you know, if someone goes, the way I handle this space is I invite everybody, LGBTQ people, I invite everybody to stay in the church. That's I believe in the church, all the good in my life comes from the church, and it's particularly the church's ability to connect me with Christ and my heavenly parents. But if an LGBTQ person fills their path is to leave the church, I'll always invite them to stay, but I will say language like this. I will, I will say, I'll let you self-determine, which is sort of agency, the best way forward for you, and I will be your friend. I will walk with you. I won't sit on the sidelines and sort of privately cheer that your road fails. I will actually be hopeful that the decisions that you've prayerfully considered and feel is the best path forward for you, even if it's outside the doctrine of our church, I will be supportive of that. And I'll want your path to succeed. I'll invite you to take God with you if, if your path is to leave the church and take that relationship with you. 
um, and I will be your friend. And now some listeners may be uncomfortable with that. And I would want to communicate a feeling that anything I say you're not comfortable with, that's okay. It's a really complicated space. You don't have to be just like me or feel the same way I do. Permission to feel different. Um, it's just a complicated space. And you may say, well, I couldn't do that. Um, but some may say that makes sense. Somebody taught me the idea if a Catholic friend asked us to go to a Catholic service to witness their infant baptism for their child, we'd all probably go as Latter-day Saints. But gosh, our Book of Mormons has pretty strong feelings about infant baptism. Aren't we condoning that by going to the Catholic Mass? So I just think we're with people in their most important moments. I did a podcast with a couple of high school basketball players. And one of the things I've learned about this space is my ability to pick up if someone's LGBTQ is not very good because they're in all walks of life. They're in all careers and all this sort of stereotype of what an LGBTQ person I've, I've learned is not correct. So these, these two guys that were actually basketball buddies of my son's team, they were on the opposite team and we beat them and they beat us. But one of, the, one of the centers came out gay as a senior in a high school in Salt Lake City. He's not in the church and his best friend's LDS and in the church. And I became connected with them. And I said, you know, how did the friendship change? It didn't change a bit. Um, Luke and Andrew. And I said, Andrew, are you going to go to Luke's same-sex wedding? He goes, absolutely. I will be there for him in his best moment. I asked Luke, are you going to go to Andrew's farewell? He goes, absolutely, I'll be on the front row with all my other buddies supporting Andrew on his mission. And I just thought of the grace of this friendship and the differences that could divide these guys. They are high school teammates. They've been buddies forever. Luke coming out to Andrew, if I may remember the rights, was really hard for Luke. Um, there's, and they ended up winning state in Utah, and he actually came out right after state. He didn't, at that point, he didn't want to complicate the team dynamics, but nothing changed in this friendship. And I just, I wanted to go back and be a high school student again in 1979 when the guys I thought were gay, all I knew as a Latter-day Saint was to pull away from these guys. And the week I did that podcast with Luke and Andrew, I went to my 40 high school reunion and I saw the slideshow of all those that died. 40 years, that slideshow gets a little longer. And I, some of those guys went to San Francisco or big metro cities. It's the only place they could feel like they belong. It's the only place they felt like there was a square hole for them. And there wasn't much of a path forward. And it led to the club life and multiple partners. And I'm not saying that's okay, but it led to dying from AIDS. And those, I just, I looked at Luke and I thought, Luke is not going to, he is going to go to his 40 year reunion. He's going to go with the husband. <laughs> um, he's going to be in a same sex marriage. Um, he's, that's just his path. And, but he's going to be there. And so in some ways, I'm glad that there are better options, perhaps, for those that are, feel their path is a same-sex relationship, that they can be in a, there's, this is complicated, listeners, but when you come back to the covenant path, which I invite everybody to stay, there's a lot of ways to live life off the covenant path, and some are more responsible than others. Um, a monogamous same-sex relationship and a committed long-term thought out, methodical, deeply committed relationship is a better path than the club scene and multiple partners and perhaps numbing stuff that gets you addicted to bad stuff. And I mean, we don't usually talk about ways to do life off the covenant path, but in this space, sometimes you just have to talk about this with people that feel their path is 
a same-sex marriage. Um, it's the pragmatic approach to the realities of some people's paths. So if any of that's uncomfortable for any of your listeners, that's okay. It's just the best way that I know how to talk about it when you need to talk about it with people that feel their path is um, a same-sex relationship. I think that just gives, uh, just gives me comfort to be able to love those in our life that may not follow the same path that Trevor and I have. Like, I feel like those in mixed orientation relationships, those are, we're fewer in number. It doesn't work for everyone. And I have no expectations that others need to follow our example, but you know, it's working for us. Um, but being able to love and support and just, you know, I think it's hard to talk about because we don't know the eternal, I guess, consequences. I, I that's the, probably too strong of a word to use, but what I've said to multiple people is like the heavenly father and heavenly mother that I know that sent their children here with this story, with this path in this life, this identity, they're not keeping score. They are the prodigal son's parents waiting for them to come home. And they gave them a hard task in this life. They gave them a square peg in, in a circle world. And they're going to be so excited. I don't think I think based on how the Bible has been translated in the words, it's a very fire and brimstone for those uh, that follow, you know, the same sex path, I guess. And, but it's like, you know, we don't know, we don't really know that our father in heaven, our mother in heaven love us. And there's an atonement and we all signed up for this. And we're all going to be welcomed back with open arms. That's my perspective that I'm choosing to live with in this life. I think it's relieving, Kara, because you you don't have to see everybody in need and rescue. You can just see them as heavenly parents' children. And they have this beautiful plan of salvation. They have a long view. And if anybody should be more at peace with the human population, it's Latter-day Saints because of our understanding and it's relieving not to see everybody in your neighborhood that's not in your church as need of rescue and mm -hmm. can be kind and thoughtful. And if we're just genuinely friends at a, at a love without an agenda, then some of our neighborhood friends may open up to us and say, I'm actually struggling with my faith or I'm uncomfortable with something in my faith. Perhaps your faith has some answers for me. So we can invite people into our faith, but I think we do that best when we just have non-agenda relationships then they're the safest to open up. I want to share with your listeners from page 264 um, about mixed orientation marriages. Um, while the church doesn't encourage this road and some of these marriages fail, mixed orientation marriages can and do work for some. We should hope they succeed. Before I stepped in this space, the only mixed orientation marriages I was aware of were those that failed. I had falsely concluded from my limited sample size and understanding that all failed. It was only after interviewing several couples in mixed orientation marriages that my conclusions changed. I actually felt a rebuke by the, from the spirit during one of these interviews for my false conclusion. 
Now, I understand these marriages can be beautiful and authentic love stories in which honesty, communication, vulnerability, power of, and commitment to eternal covenants and common eternal goals create a strong and healthy foundation. I also assume my awareness of successful moms is limited, and there are likely many couples who are not sharing this part of their lives with others, and there should be no requirement to do so. I sometimes hear of a spouse in a mixed orientation remarriage referred to as the hero for making the marriage work, in some cases the straight spouse, in other cases the LGBTQ spouse. I'm not sure we should judge who is more or less of a hero in a mixed orientation marriage or in any marriage. I'm not sure any of us understand the complexities of another marriage to elevate one spouse over the other. So one of the things that society says is to live your truth. This is how you do it if you have SSA or LGBTQ. And and some would say even you're you're not living your truth, you know, Trevor, because you're in a mixed orientation marriage. And that's one of the things I'm really uncomfortable about is is people's projecting their agenda onto LGBTQ people and what they should do in their life. Now, I do I do support the church and its invitation for LGBTQ members to stay in the church, but I'm uncomfortable that one LGBTQ person has a story and then sort of takes that story and says, this is how you do it. Um, I think it's okay for listeners that are LGBTQ to listen to a wide range of stories. I think that's part of you making an informed decision about your path forward. But I think you have to write your own story. You can't hear another story and say, that's my story. I think you have to work with your heavenly parents and get personal revelation for your best path forward. Now, yeah, I'll always invite you to stay in the teachings of our church, but I'm really sensitive to people that choose to be celibate, people that choose to be in a mixed orientation marriage. And then there's these voices out there that says you're not living your truth or you're not authentic or you're not your whatever. And it just adds to your load. No one in a straight marriage is hearing all those voices sort of challenging their story. And it just adds to the burden of LGBTQ because they have to sort of prove their path to the world that it's the right path for them. And I think we should just, you know, and some that leave the church want everybody to leave the church. Um, And I think we have to recognize that there are a lot of LGBTQ people in the church doing great. Um, And that could be why, because there's beautiful doctrine in our church that brings hope and healing that they're drawn to. Um, It brings them joy and happiness in their lives. So that's just some more thoughts, but, um, you know, I've certainly taken other stories and wanted to tell an LGBT person how to live their story based on that story. And there's a lot of stories out there, but most of the people said, just use my story. Don't weaponize it. Um, But let me live my own life and don't sit on the sidelines and secretly hope my story fails or, don't think I'm being real and authentic in just the way I'm walking my way forward. Everybody needs people around them that just love them, accept them, and are cheering for their success. Now, I wrote down in the note here, even though you didn't ask this question, some people say, well, this is like an addiction. <laughs> I heard that a lot growing up, and I probably said it. Um, a couple moms of LGBTQ says, well, an addiction is something you have to try, and it leads to a bad outcome. Um, and we could go through the types of addiction. Being LGBTQ isn't something you tried, and it doesn't lead to a bad outcome. So it's really different. It's an inherent attribute versus 
you know, an addiction. So that just that phraseology or that comparison that still exists in LDS culture is really hurtful to LGBTQ to somehow think this part of them um, is being compared to that. And sometimes when we even talk about it in church, even if we're trying to do the right thing and have somebody come in and talk, we often talk about addictions and LGBTQ in the same meeting, <laughs> um, sort of like they're in the same category. Well, they're not. There might be some similarities. We need to have better, better tools and better vocabulary, but they're completely different. And it's important. That's just part of the nuance of this space. And most people go, yeah, I've never thought of it that way. But this is an inherent attribute that leads to good things. It isn't a, something someone tries that leads to bad things. This is a big difference. Can and I, I ask? Oh, go sorry. ahead. I wanted to ask something in that same vein. I really appreciate that you are so open and honest about recognizing your, and you've talked about this and used this phrase in your own podcast, but the iron gates or preconceived notions, um, you're really honest about your own and how through this work, those iron gates have come down and your preconceived notions have changed. So I, I really appreciate that. And to that point, I think a lot of people struggle, especially recently, I've heard a lot of discussion on social media among my own congregations at this devotional with Elder Renland of people's concern surrounding how we talk about this space and, and the LGBT communities and specifically surrounding Elder Holland. He gave a, a talk at um, BYU uh, to the faculty. And a lot of the phrases that he used were a lot of people had a lot of problems with them, uh, with, with what he said. Um, they didn't feel like it came from love. They felt like, as you've mentioned, that it was creating this enemy um, directly, you know, against the LGBTQ community. So my question to you then is that um, I'm, I'm curious how you specifically reconcile then the whoopsies of um, what people say or like bad topics, or, or excuse me, not bad topics, but policies and opinions and words that come from church leaders. How do you personally reconcile when it has gone wrong? How do you reconcile that? And how, how do we do that personally? Because I know a lot of people are struggling with that. Hopefully that made sense. I can it did, Dane, and I'm okay. so glad you asked that question. So these are the kind of questions we need to learn to talk about at church because a lot of people are talking about Elder Holland's talk, mm -hmm. you know, outside of church. Yeah. And we kind of have these pretty we just need to learn to talk about all these topics in the walls of our church. I don't know how we do that. Some congregations are better than others. But there's a real need to say, how do we feel about Elder Holland's talk? If we're uncomfortable with the talk, do we feel safe opening up in our congregation about being uncomfortable with the general conference talk or Elder Holland's talk at BYU? Or does the very fact we open up with being uncomfortable have people compare us to the wheat and tares or the elect will be deceived and some of that shaming vocabulary that just makes us all then never want to open up? And 
And that's not the way to help somebody through a difficult church experience. So this is a great question. I'm glad you asked it. Um, I've learned for your listeners that, and this has taken some work, that in some of the YSAs came to me and said, I've had a difficult church experience. And my first reaction was to dismiss it or to defend the leader. Um, I just felt that was my job. There's even temple covenants I make that sort of infer my job is to defend the church. But the end of that temple covenant is actually to create Zion. And I recognize that that is the, that's the big goal here in my mind is we're trying to create Zion. And um, to me, we're strengthening the church in order to create Zion. So I've learned that I can sit with somebody in their pain and support a church leader. It's not like if I validate a painful church experience that I'm somehow selling out the leader or selling out our institution. I'm just honoring how someone feels. So if someone's heard something at church that didn't bother me, I shouldn't say, well, you're just being oversensitive because it didn't bother me. I should sit with them and honor how they feel. No one should have to prove their pain. That just adds to their pain. And if someone feels dismissed leaving the bishop's office because the bishop didn't sort of feel the same way, I think that just makes them feel like there's less of a square hole for them, even a straight person. I, you know, that square hole principle applies to lots of different situations. Right. So Elder Holland, who I love and sustain and support, um, created a lot of pain for people in the LGBT community and their allies. And Matt Easton's a personal friend, um, the valedictorian. So um, a wonderful young man who served in the same mission as my son. And, and so I just, I, I feel I can support and sustain Elder Holland as lifelong mission. Millions of people's lives are better and closer to Christ and, and be uncomfortable with some of the things he said at BYU. Now, where I draw the line is sort of saying, you know, I could have done it better or Elder Holland was wrong or the church is wrong or we ought to change doctrine or sort of form advocacy. I just sit with people in their pain and validate their pain. I ended up doing a solo podcast on my platform, which I haven't done in a couple of years. It's episode 445 for your listeners. And I just was getting so many messages just like, and I just, every time I turn on my computer, I could spit, send eight hours just answering inbound communication. I did do a solo podcast and sort of addressed my best efforts to address that, to be supportive of Elder Holland, our church, our doctrine, and also sit with people that were hurting. And I think it's a ministering principle is to sit with people that are hurting. If I call it church-generated pain. If someone has employment-generated pain or all the other pain that comes into our lives, for, it's human-generated, we can sit with them pretty easily and validate that pain. But if the pain comes from our own faith, um, it gets complicated, but it's, it's just called church-generated pain. And um, we can, I have generated that for people, I'm sure as a leader with the things I've said, or there, you could probably find YSAs <laughs> that would go on a podcast and say, these are the things that Bishop Osler kind of did that he could have done differently. But I think we just have to sit with people that are hurting. And I think that's the first step to help them heal and move on from the difficult church experiences. I don't think it drives the wedge deeper, any wedge between them and the church deeper if we validate a church-generated pain. I think it's actually does the opposite. They feel heard, they feel understood, they don't feel dismissed, 
they feel validated. And that may be all they need just to put the experience behind them and move forward is that, especially if you're in a position of authority, like a local leader, um, or a parent. So elder, I've, I valid anybody that feels pain from elder Holland's talk. I felt pain. Um, if you felt pain, whether you're an ally or LGBTQ or just felt pain, I validate that pain, you know, and I, I think we can do better. I hope we can consistently just learn as a church to say kind things about LGBTQ people. And the pride flag to me, talking just a little bit about that when I grew up was a political symbol that represented things that were inconsistent with our church. The pride flag for a lot of people, listeners, is not that anymore. It's I'm a safe place um, for you. Um, mm -hmm. If you're LGBTQ, it's there's seminary teachers that have that in their office. Um, there's bishops that I know that have that in front of their home because they're trying to signal they're a safe person for everybody. Um, so it doesn't, those of you may need to do what I did if you feel the pride flag represents a political symbol or div div divisiveness, or why do we need us? We don't need a pride flag. You know, why do people need to come out? But I think you have to, Elder Uchtdorf, to your point, Dana, talks about the massive iron gates. His quote is, um, that I put in the book, um, we can block the growth and knowledge our Heavenly Father intends for us. How often has the Holy Spirit tried to tell us something we needed to know, but couldn't get past the massive iron gate of what we thought we already knew? So the pride flag is something where if we've already formed an opinion about that, we may be need to be open to um, changing our opinion about that. I have a son, married son at BYU. The whole experience is a straight experience. He's in a demanding program, but he's not worried about his sexuality and how that's going to fit at BYU. He is just worrying, you know, 24-7 about the grades he needs to get to get in the program. And he's married, he doesn't have to worry about dating. Um, young married, young man. But I think about uh, someone his age that's gay or lesbian or trans at BYU and you know, they've got to get good grades and they've got to figure out their sexual orientation. And I think we've got to recognize that create as much love and support for them and recognize what Matt accomplished. He was the valedictorian from his college at the same time trying to figure out his sexual orientation. It's an heroic, I can't say that word, accomplishment. And I thought him coming out, some listeners will feel it was inappropriate. Um, I thought it was appropriate. I thought it just helped people understand for others that people like him are welcome and needed. And it gave a feeling of hope and healing for younger people that are closeted that, that there's a place, a feeling of belonging, a square hole. And so some would say that square hole kind of got a little rounder because of what Elder Holland said. And I don't want to directly contradict Elder Holland. Just look at it as a learning moment where we as a faith can say that, did that what can we do better? And could we have done something better? And not that we instruct other Holland to do anything differently, because that's not our job, but we in our own circle, our family, our friends say, what can we kind of do better and learn from this to help us be better? Yeah, we, we build Zion starting in our own homes. And then we spread out from there. Zion's not built from the, the the profit down it's built from in our own homes and outward so that's that. where we can oh, i love that kara i know i am walking away from this conversation 
with just so much inward reflection and lots of questions for myself. Um, I feel nourished and enriched and enlightened, and I'm, I'm so grateful um, for you teaching us and helping us to understand this space better. And I'm grateful that you are providing a platform and giving a voice to the LGBT community. I have loved listening to your podcast and I just think that the work that you are doing is so important, needed, and divinely inspired. So thank you for continuing to work in a space that is challenging. And as you said, it's, it's not about the atonement changing people. It's about healing hearts. And so thank you for being a person that can help heal some hearts along the way. Thank you, Dana. Thank you, Karen. We will make sure that we provide in our show notes, um, the link to Richard's podcast. And again, that's the listen, learn, and love. We will also provide a link where you can purchase his book, which is listen, learn, and love embracing LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. Um, and his email, he is really quick and good about responding back to people. And so if you are someone within this community that you have more questions or you want someone to tell your story to, we'll provide his contact information. And we hope that those of you listening also know that you are safe with Kara and I, and that this is a community and a place where you can feel loved, honored, cherished, and desired. So thanks so much for for joining us. Um, and now let's share some stories. Let's share some stories that came out of the mouth of our babes. So Kara, do you want to go first? Sure. Um, so we had one of our SSA friends visiting and spending, um, some days with us in our home and he is adorable. He looks like he's 12, <laughs> but he's a grown man. I like, he's like 24, 25. Uh, but Parker, our littlest, um, overheard us, him talking and like talking about going to BYU, Idaho. And he's, he's like, you go to college, but you have to be an adult to go to college. He's an adult. He, <laughs> he may look like a little teenager, but he's an adult. Like he takes really good care of his skin. <laughs> that is awesome. Richard, do you have a story that came out of the mouth of one of your babes? I wish my wife were here because she would have great stories. Just a general impression that, you know, I have millennial age kids or Gen Z. I think that's the group. And they're this. This is, you know, listeners, I think this is the great generation. Every generation is better, and their worldview is often wired of what can I and what can our faith do for those that have the hardest road, the most marginalized, the biggest social issues. So I have, you know, that's me sort of speaking for younger people in our church, but I have, I love this younger age group. I don't ever buy into the negative that they may be on their phones a little much, but 
they're just an incredible group that give me so much hope for the future of our church, of our world, our society. So that's, that's not really a direct answer, but just my love of the things that babes are doing, so to speak. Love it. Thank you. Uh, So my two and a half year old Sawyer over the summer, you know, we would say prayers with her, but it was mostly us just kind of saying them and her just kind of meandering in her bedroom as we were getting ready for bed. And so now she actually will say them. And if we start before she's ready, she'll get really frustrated and say, no, so swear do it. Um, so the other night she was praying and she said, single floor. And then she'll pause and say, single floor, mommy's toes, single floor, daddy's toes. Uh, single four and she she just is very thoughtful very slow and it's it's amazing because she really does think about these things where I'm like wow like that's so wonderful I should slow down in my prayers and really think about the things that I'm I'm thankful for even if it's really simple things like my toes you know well she's playing a little bit of I spy but (laughs) yeah yeah that's probably true and I think like at one point I had like said something about my, my toes. And so, or maybe we had just like clipped her toenails or something. And that's why she was thinking about the forefront of right. That's so cute. Thank you so much for joining us for this conversation. I feel like it was everything we needed to hear and to share. And if you enjoyed this episode as much as we did, please go and like share review, subscribe, all the things, please share on your Instagram feeds, share in your Facebook, uh, send our link to friends and family because we want to expand our community and to let everyone know that they're a babe and we love you. And we appreciate every single one of you for being here. Have a great week, babes.